0: Welcome to MuggleCast, your weekly ride into the Wizarding World fandom. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric.
1: I'm Micah.
2: And I'm Laura.
0: We have a big episode today. It's our big Secrets of Dumbledore review show. This is the first of probably several episodes in which we're discussing this third movie in the Fantastic Beasts franchise. And we're going to start today with a brief spoiler-free review in case you haven't seen it yet, and then we'll get into all of the spoilers And uh, we'll continue this discussion, like I said, into the weeks to come. If you are new to MuggleCast, well, welcome. We're your Harry Potter friends. So make sure you're following the show for free in your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. We release a new episode every Wednesday, and we're talking about everything in fandom, including the Harry Potter books and movies and the latest news, and of course, everything to do with Fantastic Beasts. And to help us with today's Secrets of Dumbledore review, we are joined by one of our listeners and Patreon supporters, Jemima. Hi, Jemima. Welcome.
3: Hi, thank you.
0: It's a pleasure to have you. And you are down in Australia, right?
3: Yes, I am. I'm down under. It's currently midnight, but I'm I'm holding on. We can do this.
0: Thank you for staying up late. It's midnight for you, 7 a.m. for me. (laughs) We're uh, at opposite ends of the sleep schedules here. You're a
2: trooper, (laughs) Jemima. Thank you so much. Of course.
0: Jemima, also uh, a contributor on BuzzFeed. So I thought it'd be awesome to have you on this week to uh, help us get through one of the hottest topics of of the week. And since uh, you're new to the show, why don't we get your fandom ID?
3: Okay. Favorite book is... Uh, order for phoenix mainly just because i like reading all the scenes that um umbridge is in like so well written favorite movie is philosopher's stone my patronus is a horse which i think is really lame no offense to anyone else who has a horse but like i'm not a horse girl Um, wait
4: what kind what kind of horse do you remember because there's like about a hundred different breeds that it is possible for your patronus to be all horses
3: Right. So I know I noticed that when I did the quiz, but I just got horse. Like so many other people got different breeds, but mine was just horse. So I was like, huh. oh, cool. Okay, That's I'm rude. the horse. Wow. Also the boring horse. <laughs> Great. My Hogwarts house is Ravenclaw and my Ilvermorny house, even though I do not subscribe to Ilvermorny as a concept, is Hornsopent.
0: <laughs> even when Ilvermorny was first announced, you didn't subscribe to I was it. Like, you were just oh, like, this no.
3: is exciting, but then I was like, okay, I did the quiz, but it's like Okay, Hogwarts, sure, it's not Australian, but I've read about it. How can I relate to this American school that I've never cared about ever and suddenly it's just
0: like a big thing? If it was an Australian wizarding school, then you probably would have been
3: more into it. Very board. Okay.
0: Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, welcome to the show again and thanks for your support on Patreon. I know you've been a long time listener and uh, we've communicated over the years plenty. So yeah, it's awesome. Awesome to have you here.
3: Very excited to be here.
0: Good, good. Yeah, it's going to be a great discussion today. This is the first time that we as a group are all talking about the movie together. So I think it'll be a very, very lively discussion. Before we jump in though, we do need to remind everybody that we don't agree with JK Rowling's position on trans rights. And one popular idea during all of this in order to manage being a fan while continuing to consume new work of Rowling's is to match what you spend on take your movie tickets, for example, uh, with a donation to a charity who's putting up the good fight. So with the release of today's episode, we're going to be making a $400 donation to Mermaids. This is a British charity and advocacy organization that supports gender variant and transgender youth. They also provide inclusion and diversity training. And with that said, let's get into our discussion today. So... Let's start with the spoiler-free reactions, and then we can move into all the spoiler stuff. Eric, as somebody who saw it before all of us, would you like to <laughs> kick, you know, like, kick this
1: off again? I, I would just like to say before we get started, though, like I really like your hat, Andrew. Eric, I really like yours as well. You look very oh, fashionable this morning.
0: Michael likes to say something, but then not describe what he's talking about. <laughs> Michael, we're doing a podcast. We're all wearing Secrets of Dumbledore hats from the movie events that we attend, Which I did not right? pay for.
4: Yes. But yeah, I just want to state that. So no, I'll send 10 more dollars to mermaids, but I did not buy this hat. <laughs> yeah, right. So yeah, I, I'm i excited now that you guys have all seen the movie because I can talk about it uh, openly and not have to uh, be spoiler free. But I will be spoiler free for one more moment to say again, kind of what I said in the last episode. This is a better movie than Crimes of Grindelwald. I think it had a more straightforward plot. I'm sure you'll all agree on that. I think that where a major failing is for the movie is still somehow, inexplicably, they're failing to explain character motivations. Somebody on the screenwriting side of this film still think, seems to think it's cool or clever not to give us enough of the why uh, for any character's actions. And it's very upsetting uh, to me personally. Like they, in, especially in this film, I noticed a few times characters asking each other about their motivations and then the scene just cutting away, like almost as if it, it were like they're teasing us like, ha, ah, you don't know why Yusuf Kama went to the other side and then came back, even though Theseus asked him, we're just going to cut away. So, you know, in general, I'm just like, hey, oh, I guess that was a spoiler. Anyway, <laughs> long and short of this is this was your idea. <laughs> there's still issues in the writing. There's still issues in the writing. And I, I dislike that part of it but overall found the film to be entertaining.
2: Yeah. I will say that I feel bad for this movie. Um I <laughs> hear me out. I think they really tried. Um and it was a much better movie than Crimes of Grindelwald. It felt more like the whimsical, quirky, yet dark stories we recognize from the wizarding world but I ultimately feel like the sins of the second movie were too much for the third installment to clean up. I don't have negative feelings towards the movie, mainly sad ones, um, because the cast effects and sound design were all great. I just think, unfortunately, some holes are too deep to write out of.
4: So, Lori, you're like, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed.
2: Yeah, basically, <laughs> in
4: Crimes of Grindelwald.
2: <laughs> yeah, not not in Secrets of Dumbledore. Still, Crimes yeah. of Grindelwald. That's the problem.
1: One of the things that I really thought about after this film was that it could have been the sequel to the first movie. I don't even think that you needed Oh Crimes of Grindelwald you could have just jumped to secrets of Dumbledore and maybe fans who haven't seen the second film may want to try that and see how it works Mm. for them. Uh, But I do agree with what Laura said. I I feel like on the whole, this was an enjoyable movie. I, I found myself paying attention throughout, but the writing still wasn't exactly where it needed to be. There was a little bit too much of that Hogwarts nostalgia and I think we're gonna talk about that a little bit later on I think it there was relied upon at times too much um but all that said like I enjoyed the movie I can't say that about crimes of Grindelwald. so mm. yeah yeah how about you Jemima
3: I really loved it but I so coming out I was like wow that was an amazing movie and then I thought about it more and I think it's because my expectations were fully on the ground like I Thought it was going to be terrible <laughs> so I was pleasantly surprised um I think it's definitely better than we could have hoped for and I think kind of like I definitely agree with Eric that they really didn't explain very much it almost felt like we were watching an adaptation of a book but we haven't read the book and there is no book like it's like I felt like there were all these behind the scenes things that we just didn't know and they just didn't show us so like maybe they're all gonna come out in the future movies but also are there going to be future movies you know like I think they could have made it a bit more straightforward.
0: Yeah. So I I agree with what everybody said. I've seen the movie twice now. The first time I saw it, my expectations were pretty high. I got swept up in the marketing. I was excited for another movie in this franchise. I was hopeful that Steve Clovez really straightened this out. So... Within like the first 30, 45 minutes, I started to lower my expectations because I started to realize it just wasn't going to be the home run that I was hoping for. But I liked it a lot more the second time with my expectations lower. I, I knew to not expect the world and to just enjoy it as it was. It is definitely better than Crimes of Grindelwald. They did... Clean up a lot. They did streamline it a lot, but there's still, like Laura was getting at, a lot of lingering stuff carried over from Crimes of Grindelwald that, unfortunately, I guess they felt they had no choice but to deal with. They couldn't just completely let it go. Now let's get into the spoilers. <laughs> oh my God, it So, what, what we're going to do today, <laughs> yeah. we have one discussion point and then we're going to get into the top seven moments from Secrets of Dumbledore and we'll determine what the actual secrets were. <laughs> What was this title talking about?
2: Great question.
0: I think the big question is, before we get to that, did this movie course correct like we
4: hoped it would? I, too, have seen the movie twice. And the second time I did, I took in two things. One thing I'll talk about later. The second thing is I took in a notepad, like a 5 by 7 notepad, and I took pages and pages of notes. And that was a wonderful way to experience the movie. Every time something didn't make sense, you know what the hell right <laughs> kind of a thing now i can't read my writing because i was doing it in the dark But right i was gonna ask about that um, yeah. I, I have tried doing that it doesn't I'm, work out very well <laughs> i'm working on that regarding the but but in doing that kind of going piece by piece like i would if i were watching at home i did actually notate and i remember doing this too that they did answer some of the questions and some of like the plot threads specifically about crimes of grindelwald so You know, for instance, the whole blood pack thing, which could have spanned all the movies, did get resolved in this film. Credence's origin, which was like the huge stinger at the end of the, you know, second film, does have an answer by the end of this movie. Um, So I I think that you watch your mouth, (laughs) the, the crimes of Grindelwald, so to speak. Well, in this film, he's absolved of those crimes. We still know what they are, but. You know, (laughs) he he committed some crimes and therefore he was in hiding. This movie goes the extra length, it seems, in the writing to address some of those things that were going on with the second movie retroactively. So to that end, I think it really was kind of a course correction.
2: Piggybacking off of that, I do feel like this movie closed some of the major threads that were created by Crimes of Grindelwald. And honestly, the way they did it made me feel like they could end the films here. Um, mm. If if there wasn't a fourth movie, yeah. it would feel enough finished, finished enough to be acceptable as a trilogy. Um, I honestly feel like they could pivot to telling the Dumbledore and Grindelwald story in another format at this point. Because it doesn't really feel like, to me, there's much desire to develop the core four any further. Um, Newt is great. I love him. Eddie Redmayne delivered another fantastic performance. But what character development was there for him in this movie?
4: None. He's He's just the guy that stuff happens to.
2: Yeah, exactly. And then Tina, you know, we know she's barely in the movie. We knew that before we saw it. But then Jacob and Queenie seemingly let bygones be bygones very quickly after, um, you know, she drugs him and then joins wizard Hitler because she's upset that he won't marry her because it's illegal. But suddenly they're in the States getting married at the end of the movie very weird. It just feels like they're trying to button up that side of this story. And really, the irony is that the best parts of this movie are when the Fantastic Beasts are involved. Um, I really felt like the election storyline, again, felt very buttoned up, like they were trying to close this chapter. But as a result of that, it felt Like the outcome was too simple and too easy to be satisfying because throughout the movie, they're trying to ramp up the tension around what's going to happen in this election. And it kind of fell flat for me. At this point,
0: I feel like they're going to do one more movie and that's it. I don't think there's any way they're making it to
4: five movies. Well, God, then please make it a beast movie, right? Like I don't need another. I don't need another movie where Albus is uh, hemming and hawing about his Grindelwald stuff. I know he's freer now to move against him. Now the blood pack's gone, but we know that he doesn't defeat Grindelwald till 1945. It's still 1931 uh, in the right. franchise. So give me a movie set in 1937. That's just Tina and Newt and Queenie and Jacob maybe. And that's it. And give us that movie where it's a beast themed adventure in the middle of sure Grindelwald's doing something. Um, but give us that. I don't want the one that's set in 45 and features Dumbledore and Grindelwald fighting because we saw that in this movie. Mm -hmm.
0: I think that's what it's going to be. That's that the big, the big fight at the end. That's what we've been working towards.
1: That's lame. I actually agree with Laura though, just based on how the film ended, you got a wedding, you had Dumbledore kind of walking off into the Proverbial sunset, there. I think they're more than comfortable to end the series with three films.
3: Yeah, definitely felt like they were leaving the door closed, like not even leaving the door open to more, just leaving the door <laughs> like, okay, it's closed. Like we could open it if we have to, but it's yeah. like, the door's closed. It's not locked, but it's shut. It's a jar.
2: <laughs> yeah. You know,
0: one wonders because there were reshoots at some point. One wonders if maybe the reshoots involved creating this new ending. Where the door was more shut than was originally planned, because remember J.K. Rowling wrote the first script for this before the uh, Crimes of Grindelwald came out, and at that time things were definitely better in a lot of ways for the franchise. So yeah, by the time they did the rewrites, and you know Crimes of Grindelwald kind of bombed, maybe they were like, "Yeah, let's let's close the door." I would describe the door as. Slightly ajar. The door's open just enough so your dog can get in, but not so much so that the morning light gets in too much. I'm describing my own bedroom.
2: Yeah. I mean Father Atlas has a good point in the Discord and is saying, I think they only open that door if the box office does really well. <laughs>
0: <Fair>. <laughs> Time to let the light in, baby.
4: <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's it's sad to see. A series kind of fizzle out like this that was going to be five installments. And Lord knows they tried to give audiences what they thought we wanted, which was Hogwarts. Took a while to
0: get to Hogwarts. I was, that's yeah.
4: another reason I had
0: to lower my expectations. Like I thought we, like I said on our prediction episode, I thought that was going to be home base. We'd be returning to Hogwarts a bunch of times. Really, we were only there once or twice.
4: Yeah. Um, but if you count Hogsmeade, which is just down the road, uh, we were there a lot more. The Hogs Head was That's more fair. of a base of operations than Hogwarts in this. Yeah. yeah, which I
0: guess makes sense. They don't need to put Aberforth at Hogwarts. That would be a little too strange. Mm. Yeah,
2: honestly, I was afraid that they were going to feature Hogwarts more in the movie than they did. And I have to say, I was pleased that. We didn't see actually end up seeing that much Hogwarts. Does call the marketing into question, though, because the marketing really made it seem like that's where we were going to be.
0: I'm going to sue Warner Brothers for all that misleading (laughs) marketing. Does anybody want to join in with me on a class action? I'm working on this now with my lawyer.
3: It's like the class action... The, did you see the class action suit of the people suing the Deepwater producers because um, Anna de or not Deepwater, it was a different movie, but Anna de was in the trailer way more than she was in the movie. And so they actually sued and won and they got a class action suit. People got like $7, $7 back for the, what they paid for streaming.
0: Wow. That's what we're going to do. That's what we're going <laughs> to <Yeah>.
4: do. <laughs> we got to mobile. Get me that lawyer. That's a huge flex to want our money back for something.
0: We could talk about that more on the next episode. That's going to be in our odds and ends discussion. But Jemima, is there anything you wanted to add here on the question of course correcting?
3: Yeah, I say I, I totally agree with what everyone's saying, but I reckon it did course correct in terms of the vibe and the tone. Like it definitely felt more like a Harry Potter movie than Crimes of Grindelwald, kind of like the first Fantastic Beast did. I think it's like, you know, the way they shot it and the music and the scene with like the... The little crab thingies—I don't know what they're called—but yeah, I think they, in terms of tone and vibe and whimsy, they—they're definitely getting back on track.
2: I agree. I think you know, I noticed this when I was in the movie, and I'll talk about it a little bit later. But it was the tone was right, the vibe was right. So if you were able to sort of disconnect and not let your brain ask too many questions. It would be very easy to have an enjoyable experience watching this movie. So I think that is important. If you want to enjoy this movie, go into it understanding that it's not perfect and you will have a good time. But if you're Mm -hmm. super fans like we are here, your brain is going to wander and you're going to be like, but why? But also why?
0: (laughs) I was thinking about this, too, because... We here on the podcast and many fans love to analyze the books and movies very deeply. We want to pick apart every little thing and we think everything has a reason. So we were kind of raised on this idea of thinking that way when consuming Harry Potter content. And then we get Crimes of Grindelwald, Secrets of Dumbledore. And like you're saying, Laura, you can't think too hard about it because then things don't check out. And we'll get into some of that in our discussion here.
1: Yeah. I, so I think it kind of goes back too, to what Jemima was saying, where you know you don't necessarily have source material. And that might be what you're saying too, Andrew. Like with the Potter series, we had books that we could reference. So we knew what was being left out or we knew why certain corners were being cut. But in this film series, it's a little bit harder to do that. We don't have something to go back to.
4: The th- the thing is that would have been a perfectly fine discussion point after movie 1 but by movie 3 they need to have figured out how to communicate simple things like character motivation. Um otherwise it's a huge failing of the movie uh to not be able to do that. They they should be they should be figuring out a way like they act, this movie actually took away the title placements when you go to new places. Like the second movie has those. Oh, the third yeah. movie does not. I'm like <laughs> I forgot about that. For clarity just give us a give us the name of the place we are when we go somewhere across the damn world. I can't even spell Bhutan. OK, like, <laughs> what if it me. said
0: Hogwarts with 10 exclamation points when we got to Hogwarts. <laughs>
4: have a little fun Look, with it, Quidditch. <laughs> but in certain ways, this film is even less clear than the last one. It's a step backwards. Like, what yeah. are they what are they doing? Clearly, their goal is not to explain to us anything. The movie just exists.
0: All right, so let's get into these uh, top seven moments from the movie. We're going to start with what is probably the biggest one of all, the one that Crimes of Grindelwald ended on. Credence, or Aurelius, is actually a Dumbledore. What? A lot of people thought Grindelwald was lying. Turns out he wasn't really lying. Aurelius is Aberforth's love child. This is definitely a secret of Dumbledore. It's... Introduced in a subtle way. I, honestly, I like almost didn't hear it. <laughs> it's said so quickly, and you're like looking through a door when Albus mentions it to Aberforth. I started putting the pieces together when we saw Credence communicating through the mirror because in the trailers, we saw Aberforth communicating through the mirror. And I'm really mad that in the trailers... They showed Aberforth's side of that conversation. I wish it was Credence's side so that we didn't know because of how it's laid out in the movie. We see Credence Mm. looking at the mirror first. I wish that they use Credence in the trailer for that reason.
2: Yeah, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Let's just talk about this, Micah.
1: Why are you coming to me first? Is there a reason?
0: Well, you're the goat man for starters <laughs> and you, you've got the first note in our doc. Oh, so. <laughs> yeah.
1: I mean, I'm just disappointed we didn't get to see what the happy hour looked like at the hogshead. He's just wiping the mirror down, but, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, obviously we all know that Aberforth has a particular fascination with goats. Uh, and you know, look, that could have come a little bit later on in life, but. This feels a little bit to me like poor or convenient writing. Um, this is the first movie where we really meet Aberforth. Uh, he was never really established much in the Harry Potter series. Of course, we get him in Deathly Hallows Part 2, but not for very long. And this came across to me as an easy solution for the mess of writing that they created at the end of the second movie. They couldn't make yeah. him Dumbledore's child or Dumbledore's brother. They had to make him his nephew. So... I I don't know. I, Do
0: you think this was the plan all along? Do you think this is J.K. Rowling's plan? No? You think she had a
4: different idea in mind?
1: I don't know what no. that idea was. I, I just don't know. Listen to this line. Yes.
4: This is an approximation of what occurs in the movie. The same uh, summer that Geller and I fell in love, Aberforth and a woman fell in love. Like, come on. I guess I can buy it. But just like I so know. wait, so these brothers were so dedicated to taking care of their sick sister, except the same summer they all decided to turn their heads and get romantically hey man, involved with somebody. Love just happens sometimes. You can't, you can't just plan happens. it.
3: Especially when you're a teenager.
0: Especially when you're a teenager, right. Well, they didn't even name the girl. I
3: don't mind
0: this development. I think it would be a very big deal if
4: they did change the plan if this wasn't Rowling's plan all along. Yeah, I mean, I I, subscri- I still subscribe to the Grindelwald and Dumbledore made a man that they made Credence Theory, because that has to do with alchemy. It would explain why Nicholas Flamel is in this series when oh, he didn't yeah. have to be the whole, it's called a hum- homunculus. Hum- ugh, homunculus. Um, and yeah, it's like the byproduct of, if you do enough alchemy so okay so plus... i guess
0: your theory and then micah's theory kind of by extension is that that may have been what was actually going on and then wb saw that and they were like look we're trying to simplify things yeah that's it's way too, too complicated. complicated to <laughs>
4: explain right because aurelius means golden one and the process yes. of alchemy is turning metals to gold so mm-hmm. again there could have been a much more otherworldly you know like I guess the theory that I had in my head canon was that they made Credence to basically contain Ariana's Obscurus, which we now know did exist. Yeah. So yeah. Um, that was my theory. But the, the whole Aberforth's child, you know, it was just so touching, feeling things for Aberforth in this movie. That was the unexpected curveball of going into this. I was like, oh, yeah, there's Aberforth. But by the end, when he's speaking with Credence and Credence is supposedly dying. Um, you know, that really moved me. I love this actor in that role. As oh, well, yeah, yeah, Aberford. yeah,
2: he's great. I-, I tend to agree that I- I'm not sure if this was the original plan. I think that it's fine, but what makes me think it wasn't the original plan is that it does feel rushed. It's like we're introducing this character into this franchise for the first time and in the first few minutes that you get a dedicated scene to him on screen it's like yeah like you have a son (laughs) he's your son you have to do something and later Dumbledore has an aside where he's like we heard rumors of a child but we didn't know for sure and I'm like come on man you're telling me when did you you
1: hear the rumors right yeah (laughs) we didn't get any of that in the
4: first two films well Furthermore, when he, when he tells Credence is we didn't know, I swear, we didn't know. It's like, well, well you I, did. <laughs> at what point do you find out? Like Dumbledore at, at, lying? Where? Yeah. He has to be. Or, or I, because of how awesome, and we'll talk about this, how awesome Jude Law is in this film, how vulnerable mm. this version of Dumbledore is in this film. I believed him when he told Credence, we didn't know, we swear. So somehow that means Grindelwald knew something that Albus didn't, and maybe Albus only just found out based on some kind of science experiment when he like opened his watch with all the <laughs> that you know planet positions. That's such
1: a good point, though, Eric. Like that's the other side of this. How did Grindelwald know? That
4: yeah, Grindelwald knew before Dumbledore did. Maybe like like I said, well, I actually, Grindelwald
0: can see the future.
4: Oh uh, yeah. yeah, but. I don't know.
1: <laughs> Only clips Look at those and puddles
0: faces. and mirrors he was looking in. I think he's got a <laughs> good know, handle on uh, that.
1: I tweeted this out that I thought Steve Clovis got confused on what kind of kids Aberforth really likes.
4: Wow. <laughs> Listen, to that point, I love this because what if we were wrong the entire time about Aberforth and goats? The book canon says he was caught practicing illegal charms on a goat. But what if it wasn't sexual? What if it wasn't? What if he's not a sexual deviant? What if he's just trying to save his kid? Like I thought. What if the illegal charms were some way of saving? The kid credence? needs goat goat milk. The kid couldn't have cow's milk. What if? What if the kid? What if? What if his goat is actually his son? That completely changes and recontextualizes oh, wow. everything. So his kid you're is his kid. All dirty minded you should feel ashamed of yourselves for ever thinking that Aberforth's goat love was anything more than paternal love for one's child. Uh,
2: Yes. uh, To that, I'm going to say, we have to remember the reading that I think we all went to with the author where she was asked about this by a child and said, you know, she gave a very age-appropriate answer. Right. And it was very clear (laughs) that there were he just likes them very much. Motivations yeah. behind yeah. it. so yeah. eh.
3: I definitely think it was just written in because they were like, oh, well, here's a loose end. We've got to tie it up. But for like a good 10, 15 seconds, I was so shocked. I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. This is the best twist ever. And then I thought about it and I was like, wait, hang on a second. What? Huh? How does this fit in? Yeah. So like I bought into the theatricality of it all, but not for long.
2: Yeah. Okay. I feel like that's yeah. the
3: theme of this movie. <laughs> Honestly.
2: Yeah.
0: You've all convinced me now they did change the plan, the original plan. The The chemistry stuff's a really good point, too. All right. So that's one secret. We're going to keep track of how many secrets are actually in this movie. So this next one, this is definitely a secret. Ariana was, in fact, an Obscurus. We were speculating about this since the beginning, really. Um, not too much of a surprise, but it's the first time we're actually hearing it. And in this scene, Dumbledore Albus was speaking very openly to Newt about what happened that night. One of our listeners, I'm sorry, I'm forgetting their name, brought up the excellent point, And many of us on the panel agreed with this. We didn't want the full explanation of what happened the night Ariana died the mystery has been a good element of this. One reason that the story is so tragic is we don't know who was actually responsible for killing Ariana. Albus admitted he, he didn't know who was actually responsible for killing Ariana. I really loved this scene.
4: Well, going back again to Vulnerable Dumbledore, I think he really crushes it. I think, I think that, that these moments where you're getting this backstory and seeing how it affects Albus, the fact that Nude is in the room to like, cheer him up and manages to maybe do that, uh, was really strong character stuff in a movie that otherwise I'd say overlooks some of its, you know, finer characters.
2: Yeah. I mean, the performances, I feel like I just want to state the performances across the board are amazing. Um, I loved Jude Law in, I mean, really in both films, but particularly in this one, Um, I was kind of hoping, you know, I know we were all dreading the idea of a flashback, and I'm very glad that that's not what we got. But I think I was hoping for something between a flashback and a dialogue info dump, Hmm. which is what this felt like to Hmm. me. And it passed so quickly. I don't know if it would have been more effective if it had been a conversation or an acknowledgement between Albus and Gellert. Mm. Rather than Albus like giving Newt the info dump about what happened to Ariana, like, why does it matter for Newt to know that information? Right. It doesn't really matter for Newt to know that. It matters for the audience to know it. So then it's a question of how do we orchestrate this so that it feels meaningful in the best possible way? That's my only critique here. But I'm glad that we did get some kind of acknowledgement at the end of the day.
1: Right. Yeah. I I was glad that it was left ambiguous. And I think it does a really great job of setting up the end of the movie where again, you have the three of these people stepping in front to defend. Well, two of them are stepping in front to defend a family member in Aurelius. And it's Grindelwald here. It's very clear who is responsible for firing the spell. And it's the two brothers coming together to defend a family member. I thought you know, this was tied together quite nicely.
4: Yeah, I mean, the idea that that talk about what happened to Ariana is then held up at the end of the film as being like, you know, a bookend of they're doing this again. This is happening again. Very Twin Peaksy with Credence. Um, I feel like that could have been clearer though. Like, you do the work and be like, oh yeah, that reflects off that. But because the original scene was not visual at all, it was just, to Laura's point, an info dump, I don't think that that is necessarily clear. And Jemima, I think you have similar thoughts
0: to Laura.
3: Yeah, it definitely felt very anticlimactic. Like, how long have we had this theory for? How long have we been talking about this? And then suddenly, Dumbledore's just like, "Oh yeah, she was an Obscurus." It's like, oh (laughs) yeah, okay, cool, all right, great. But then, okay, as I say that though, I'm kind of thinking like. of a p- percentage of people going to the cinema to watch this, maybe only like 5% are us who are like having these, yep. like, these theories. So for everyone else going, they're like, okay, whatever. Like, we're like, we want more, we want more. But really, at the end of the day, like, we're, we're a very small minority. Um, I don't know. It's like, how do you do the line between the two?
0: That is something we always have to keep in mind. We do operate in a bubble here. And most people, right, are not thinking about Ariana being an Obscurus. Although everybody should be in our bubble
4: because then we would have many more MuggleCast listeners and that would be great. <laughs> well, and, and and let's not forget, like the first film establishes and Sonia reminded me of this. Um, the first film does establish that Newt is actually pretty darn familiar with Obscurials. He actually managed to separate an Obscurus from a person. The kid died. It was a Sudanese girl, I think. And uh, that Obscurus lives separately in his case. But we really aren't dealing with the Obscurus is in this movie. Newt's own experience separating, you know, that from its host doesn't come up. He doesn't mention it to Dumbledore. Oh, Dumbledore. Could we still fix this, you know, for credence? It doesn't come up. It's not, the movie's not interested in it. It just very much seemed like we're just going to give the people what they were, we're going to confirm it with one line. Ariana was an Obscurial and move on. But realistically, if the film were really taking all things into account and also paying proper tribute to what it's previously established, if it was interested in that, Newt probably would have brought up that he's pretty darn familiar with them and you know, Albus knows that he's done that. His
0: and so, remember, wasn't Fantastic Beasts published his book published under the Obscurus Books yeah label printing company? Remember his that we had, is Obscurus Books.
4: Yeah, Obscur- yeah, we had a lot of theories about that there's too. There's just didn't we? this whole layer. of all of this that is never going to be movie canon because they're streamlining too much or they're course correcting too
1: much. And Dumbledore really sent Newt to New York, not for Frank, it was for Credence. So it just feels like kind of to Laura's point earlier, why Dumbledore would be having this conversation with Newt, it feels like he would have figured this out or been given this information much sooner about Ariana. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Okay, so that was secret number two. Here's one we can go secret, maybe Dumbledore and Grindelwald in the cafe right at the beginning. Bam. They hit you with it. I was in love with you, baby. Ooh, (laughs) got gay real quick.
1: This was quite possibly one of the best scenes um, from any of the films, I thought. And it did a terrific job of setting up Mads as the new Grindelwald. You can tell that this guy is pure evil. I cannot see Johnny Depp doing this scene.
4: Nope, you can't.
1: No. Could you?
4: Maybe. I love Mads. I love Mads and I love Mads for, like I said last week, the role that Grindelwald has to do in this film is very well accomplished by Mads, just like I think the role that Johnny Depp had to do in the last one was accomplished well by him. But, you know, he basically in this scene talks about how the stench of muggles and that really doesn't require a lot of nuance. I'm sorry. Like anybody could do that, that line and be a huge asshole for saying it.
2: Yeah, but did you see his face? Like, you knew what he was about to say. Like, he didn't even have to deliver the line because the way he grimaced when the server walked away from the table. Mm. He was, uh, there was a degree of nuance with his, like, physical performance
3: that made it very clear where he was coming from. Yeah, I think um, Johnny Depp's interpretation was more like visual, like the way that he sort of, his hair and his eyes and like the way he spoke, whereas I think Mads is more the way, like his facial expressions and the way he kind of holds himself.
4: Well, yeah, to that point, the heterochromia, the different colored eyes, create a more inhuman feel for the Johnny Depp role, whereas with Mads, they kept his eyes just cold. <laughs> so I think that matters when you're talking about reading into the audience being able to understand what he's thinking is they made it they made it more approachable to do that in his entire look.
1: Yeah, he was very much a dictator in how he approached a lot of his scenes as opposed to sort of this He never really seemed off balance to me. Johnny Depp's character always seemed to have, and that's not a surprise because that's how he acts in general, right? In a lot of his roles, he always has this kind of edge or differentiating factor to him that makes him seem a little bit off. I never really got that from Maz, and I think that makes him even scarier, to be honest.
2: Did y'all think that they missed a beat by not acknowledging the difference in appearance? Yes.
0: It's so funny. I don't, it doesn't bother me. Maybe they just warmed people up with the marketing, you know, introducing people to this new Grindelwald. And then they just thought, well, we don't really have to do anything else. Does it matter?
4: I don't know Here's if it what matters. gets me. It, it wouldn't matter to me, except they already filmed a scene that's in the movie that would have been perfect to explain this. When Jacob, when they first get to Berlin and Jacob looks at the poster on the wall and he gets hung up and he's like, and then the other people are walking. Then it goes back to Jacob, going "Huh," and walks away. That would have been a perfect moment for a line like "He changed. He looks different now." And they would have been like "Yeah," but instead, that same that scene, the fact that the camera goes in on the wanted poster and shows the new man with Grindelwald's name that isn't Johnny Depp is the audience supposed to be doing that calculation, like "Oh, he looks different," or "Oh, this is what he looks like," because Jacob seems to be making that exact uh you know note to himself but, but it's you know not what? communicated
0: think about when Richard Harris unfortunately passed away they didn't right. explain that you don't need to I know it's different circumstances but like I just it's what well, happens Jacob and sometimes. Grindelwald
4: Jacob and Grindelwald have a very specific history right so yeah. again I think Jacob's doing that that calculation in his head but why not tell it to the audience well, it's it's yeah. also
1: been 4 years though. Like it's been 4 years since we've seen this character, but at the same time, I think that's why you got that opening scene in the cafe was to establish Mads as Grindelwald without uh. having to say, "Oh, by the way, you know, you doesn't go to him or Dumbledore doesn't go to him. Hey, you look a little bit different. Did you, you know, change your hair? Maybe uh, get a facelift?" You've
4: aged like a fine wine, Bay. For someone who's known him as long as Dumbledore has, they don't need to do that. But again, the Jacob thing, they filmed that damn scene. It's in the damn movie. Like, just say out
1: loud. That's the whole, I mean, the whole reason why they opened the film the way they did was to say, here is Grindelwald. Here's the relationship that he and Dumbledore have. This is what this movie is going to be about.
2: Yeah, Yeah, I get it. I, I just think, you know, for us being as immersed in this world as we are, we clearly know But to the point about us sort of representing the 5% of people who are really nitpicking this movie, I'm thinking about the 95% of people who are casual moviegoers and being like, but why? (laughs) Because they probably don't know the context around the recasting. So they may be wondering if there's a deeper significance than there is here to the appearance change. That's all.
4: Next movie, uh, if there is one, Grindelwald needs to be played by Colin Farrell, and they shouldn't explain it. <laughs> they just don't even bother. Regarding the restaurant scene, what kind of magic was that? Do I we was wondering, that, too. Do, yeah, because here there are so many inconsistencies. Just in the first scene of the movie, welcome to this movie, everybody. Um, <laughs> Dumb- Dumbledore takes the train to get there, but to leave, it just bursts into flames. Dumbledore opens his eyes, and he's at the hog's head.
0: Somebody speculated, I think it was maybe Pat thought that he was thinking back on that actual moment, because when you see him at the Hogshead, it almost looks like he was just reflecting on a previous memory.
3: Yeah. yeah, I definitely thought it was imaginary, the whole, like, watching the whole movie, coming home, thinking about it. It wasn't until, like, this conversation that I was like, oh, maybe it was real. Like, I fully thought that it was just Dumbledore thinking, like, oh, if I could see my lover again, this is what I'd say to him. You know, that kind of thing. I didn't see it as something that actually happened.
4: I but they're conveying important parts of the plot in that yeah. scene. So it's a flashback from Dumbledore. Let's say it is a memory that that Dumbledore is having. Uh, it's a communication between them about the blood pact, about what they did together, why they did it. As a memory, that would be tainted. That would be flawed. If it's a real-time, some kind of FaceTime conversation between the hero and the villain, that makes a lot more dramatic weight you know sense but how is that being accomplished magically then the diner too just almost looked like it was a dream like atmosphere the taco bell you yeah.
3: mean The light kept the taco changing bell as well like it was getting light and dark and light and dark i was like what's going on here
2: i mean you can say that about all of the mirror dimension sequences in this film um I'm i glad not brought that up yeah, yeah. i want to you know i want to clarify that i thought this was a great scene um, You know, both Jude and Mads delivered amazing performances. The tension between them was palpable. Um, Everything about the scene felt heavy. It was a great establishing scene for the movie. But I do have a lot of questions about this mirror dimension. Um, I get that that concept is very in right now. In a lot of different fantastical films, but you just have to explain why and how this thing exists in your world. You can't just put it in there and expect people to be like, oh, yeah, okay.
0: And you're talking (laughs) about the the Dumbledore credence scene on the street?
2: Yeah. Well, that and then also their fight at the end of the movie.
4: Right. Yeah. Like they seem to go into this separate but identical mirror world. But so is that what the cinematic moment made for? IMAX. <laughs> yeah. Well my hat I, says IMAX. So then I think that the I think that the Blood Pact, because we see that world crumble at the end, the Blood Pact gave them a shared space, like literally their own dimension where they could go to and communicate in Oof, real time, time without having to take a train to get there. They can just enter, which a is why space. they retreat there to fight each other at the end. Dumbledore brings credence in, which I don't know how that works. It's just a beat of spittle that hits credence in the forehead then he's in uh <laughs> yeah. but that could explain the diner mm-hmm. a little bit if they're in it's like their magical FaceTime. <laughs> by the way i do also
0: feel like this movie established for the first time that grindelwald actually did was in love with dumbledore too I don't think we ever knew that. I've brought it up multiple times on the show. We always thought it was unrequited love, but it looks like Grindelwald was actually gay for Dumbledore.
1: Well, especially at the end. That's a secret. Right? Hold uh, hold on.
0: That's a secret. Oh, (laughs) well. Grindelwald loved him back. I
1: don't know if it was as clear until the very end when he says to him, who's going to love you now? Right. There was.
0: Well, yeah. But didn't Albus also say we fell in love when he's talking to Newt or something like that? Yeah.
3: It felt like it was mutual. Yeah, I caught that and I was like, hang on a second, is that a mistake? Like, this whole time I thought that it was unrequited and that's kind of what led to them having the falling out and then fully going their separate ways. But now right. I guess it's that's
4: not... I missed that. Grinna, what was the older boy? He was kind of manipulative. I never expected that it was fully requited, Um and it still might not be. Mm-hmm.
2: Love looks different, right? So, yeah. you know, it could be that they did love each other, but that... Grindelwald's love was motivated by manipulation and control, which isn't really love. I think is important to establish, but in in some kind of way, I think it's clear that he did love Dumbledore.
4: Wait, manipulation maybe, and control, like Queen's, uh, like Queenie did to Jacob, and yeah, uh, between yeah. movie one and two. Yeah. Wow, that, you're saying that's not love?
2: <laughs> no, but it
3: ends in marriage.
2: What yeah, it ends with about? a wedding, so it's fine. <laughs>
3: Yeah, and the other time we've had that, it ended with Voldemort being born. So, like, it definitely doesn't work.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So are we calling this whole uh, Dumbledore and Grindelwald in the cafe a secret? Was that a secret of Dumbledore? No. You got a secret
1: out of it with the uh, Grindelwald love.
0: I I know you love
4: pushing the button.
0: (laughs) (laughs) The Grindelwald love. But also, I mean, it's the first time we're hearing Dumbledore say I was in love with you. So
3: the secret that he's
0: gay. Yeah, but we already knew it, so I guess we can't, we're not going to count it by our rules. Okay, so the next big moment, and this was more of a one of the bigger crowd-pleasing moments, Newt and Theseus escaping the manticores. This existed, A, to, to tie in Fantastic Beasts with The Secrets of Dumbledore, but just to please the crowd. I mean, this was just like a moment where you're just laughing the whole time. Totally. I agree. Did your theaters eat this up as much as mine did? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. It's, yes.
4: It's, it's the runaway scene of the film. It's the one people are going to remember as far as the beasts go. Newt is uh, really getting a chance to shine here. He's also flying by the seat of his pants. He's, he tells Theseus that he wasn't sure if this is going to work, this mimicry. Um, yeah, it, it's just amazing. Not to mention one of my favorite in, in, a, in a movie that has really good music. One of my favorite musical scores, Um, and I think it's just called Lobster Dance on the track, Um, yeah, track listing. But uh, it's incredible. It's very, very, very funny and very whimsical and fast. I just
1: thought of a new great uh, patron benefit.
4: Ooh, where we do Ah. the dance.
0: (laughs) We do the
2: lobster dance. (laughs) Yes, the lobster dance. You gotta swivel appropriately. Yeah. (laughs) Um, swiveling. Honestly, this was my favorite sequence in the whole movie. Um, It's definitely a crowd pleaser. I recognize that. It's also a scene where if you think about it too much, you're going to start having questions about things. Mm -hmm. But it was the one point in the movie where I was able to let go of questions and just enjoy the scene. So this was my favorite whole sequence in the movie. I mean, everything between Newton Theseus, but also Pickett and Teddy um, the scene where it looks like like they're setting Teddy up to help Pickett when he's free falling. Yeah, <laughs> and he's actually going <laughs> oh, yeah. for the goal. That's gold. so good. I laughed out loud. I think that's the only <laughs> time I did that in this movie. Pickett had a
4: lot of funny reactions, and they even gave him little glasses in this film.
2: Oh, yeah, they God. did. That was very yeah.
4: cute.
1: Yeah. I really, really enjoyed this scene and it it reminded me a lot going back to the first movie of the scene with Newt um, trying to get the rumpet into his briefcase, you know, and he has to do a dance. I mean, it's just like, that's the side of... His character that we enjoy seeing so much—that's what makes made the first movie so enjoyable to me. Was because it was really all about the beasts and how Newt was able to connect with them. We got a moment of that with like you know that little like thing that he shakes at the at the Zowu, um in Crimes of Grindelwald, but it's like right. there are only these like select moments, which is so disappointing because I feel like there's more there that that could be tapped into.
4: Well, and we've identified the Manticore. Uh, as being the big beast in that scene, but nobody says that. It's not called out as a manicore. We're not even sure if the little lobster creatures are baby manicores or not, because they seem ridiculously small compared to the one big manicore's huge size. So Newt, uh, a well-practiced, well-versed magizoologist, when Theseus is being rescued, would easily call out, oh, this is Manticore. We're up against the Manticore. The weakness is this. The strength is this. He would just naturally, it would flow. They could do it. The film doesn't say it. At no point in this movie is he talking about what a beast is or isn't. It just goes by the wayside. And I'm like, that's a failing.
0: And Theseus's tie was the port key, right? Yeah. Because mm-hmm. almost the way it's like said and laid out, I almost thought it was like the Manticore
4: arm that was the portkey but that makes no sense oh and of course the portkey brings him right to hogwarts well the other component about the portkey because it, it gets touched a bunch of times before it's actually to transport him the other component is when you do the portis spell you can set a time right so that means that dumbledore who provided the tie has to have known when they would be pushed over the edge in the arc stag because the jailer touches that tie and wears it and uh teddy touches that tie to get it off of the jailer like it has to be pretty specific in order to could it transport. be charmed in
0: such a way that you know when you're in danger you touch the astronomy tower part of the tie and then it <laughs> or you have to say a word And when or something. you're free
1: falling like dumbledore it automatically <laughs> transports yeah. you yeah
4: Dumbledore's <laughs> like, not going through that again.
1: Maybe, maybe I missed this though, but like, did Newt know that it was a port key? Like, was that information no, he found Theseus out? did. Oh, Theseus did. Well, I don't even think, I think well, it's so discovered.
4: Maybe,
0: well, well, wait, Newt gives it to Theseus on the train and Theseus like has a moment of recognition, I think. And it's oh, like, that's oh, a joke. this is. He makes the joke.
4: It? Oh, now everything makes sense. I think he says.
2: Yeah. Yes. But also when he. In the scene with the manticore when Theseus is falling, Newt or Teddy, I don't remember who, but one of them like propels the tie towards Theseus and Newt yells, grab the tie. So at some point, Newt finds out it's a portkey.
4: Or could it just be that it's like when you're falling, you want to grab a rope to hold on to? Uh,
2: maybe. I don't, I don't see how a tie is going to help you. Well, <laughs> well I don't know the how the
4: thing gets severed either. It's <laughs> or splinched maybe, you know. Also, why
1: would Newt listen to the jailer? Like, just use your wand and knock the guy out and go in and do what you got to do.
0: Newt's not that kind of guy. No, that's not Puff behavior. He's not like you, Micah. Me, Micah. He's not ruthless. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> so let's move on to the next moment. Grindelwald winning the election. Then a reveal about the chillin, and a second vote causes him to lose the election. So obviously, this took place at the end of the movie. We haven't really brought this up yet. The chillin brought the beast back into Fantastic Beasts. Mm. When this movie opens up with Newt out in the field helping the mother chillin give birth, that to me was like a gritty Fantastic Beasts nature documentary. And I was thinking to myself, this is what Fantastic Beasts actually could have been. Mm-hmm. This dark, like I said, gritty look at Newt helping Beasts. Some people would have liked that. That probably doesn't have broad appeal. But I thought that was a great little window into what could have been. So I really loved that opening sequence. But getting back to the end, the chillin' does actually help connect this world to Fantastic Beasts. So mm-hmm. right, that, that was
4: one good thing about it. Yeah, I mean, they've got this election that Grindelwald is basically, by the help of the incumbent, Anton Vogel, uh, able, trying to overthrow, get him, his own crimes absolved, and then become elected to the leadership of the International Confederation of Wizards. Hmm. The interesting thing about this is having read seven Harry Potter books, the International Confederation of Wizards, which is what it's called in this movie. The mm-hmm. leadership position that Grindelwald is vying for has a title, and that title is Supreme Mugwump. And this is something that we know Dumbledore actually becomes one day. And in this movie, the chillen bows to him initially. Okay, okay. But they almost seem to exhaust every other word and phraseology when talking about this candidacy and this leadership role. The word Mugwump is never uttered, possibly for very obvious reasons in this movie. But I'm like, man, If you're going to go that hard, just go all the friggin' way. This is the wizarding world. Just talk about Mugwump like it's nothing. That's acting, (laughs) baby. Say it. Say that he wants to be Supreme Mugwump. Just say it. Because not saying it is like the way they hem and haw into like, oh, this uh, leader and he's going to run the. Just say it,
0: man. I agree, because it was confusing. Like, okay, he's going to be in the International Confederation of Wizards. He's going to be the head. But what is that exactly?
2: But, I mean, we have to remember they completely dropped nomadge in these movies. Like, yeah. that word does not exist anymore. Even and, Jacob
4: refers to himself as a muggle.
2: Yeah. And he's American. <laughs> so doesn't right. make sense. It could be that they thought this sounded too close to muggle, and because they were using muggles so much in this movie, they thought it might be confusing to general audiences. So they just referred to a generic leader instead.
4: You, you could see the writing team of the author and Steve Clovis coming up with another word, though. Yeah. they actively avoiding the word,
0: right? Well, I remember the name of the game was simplifying everything in this. And if you start getting too detail-oriented, I think that's when they turn off, not us, yeah. but other other yeah. people yeah i just don't think it's simple, simple
4: to avoid a word that does exist in canon i don't you know
0: like- i guess they just thought saying he wanted to be the head of the international confederation of wizards is enough i thought the most confusing part about all of this was it almost didn't feel like they took a vote to determine right. grindelwald like they shot spells up to, up into the air they should have been like okay it's time to vote And we cut to Rachel Maddow doing the, you know, (laughs) watching the poll results come in. (laughs) Just like it, it, it it almost didn't feel like there was a vote. It just felt like the chillin bowed, and that was the sole vote.
3: Right. Yeah, Yeah. I got confused at this whole thing. I feel like I need to go see this movie again because I think, yeah, it wasn't explained properly how this whole like magical election system works. I was like, so do they vote or does this thing just bow or is it a combination of the both? I don't know. So, yeah, I just kind of moved past this one. This film, it made
4: a little bit more sense the second time I was seeing it. There's a couple of lines in this film about how rare chillins are. So uh, because they are so exceedingly rare, the normal process for the mugwump position uh, would be to take a vote somehow through shouting spells, you know, shooting spells up in the air or whatever. Um, But in the event that there's a chillin, which is what Grindelwald is capitalizing on here in this film, is, you know, they would defer to the chillin's decision kind of almost magically because uh, Dumbledore says there was a time when the beast chose the next leader when we when we utilize the chillin to do that. So that, I think, is the misdirect here is it's intentional because once a beast that's really rare just happens to be there. They will defer to it,
2: yeah, but I feel like they kind of set this up, even thinking of the scenes with Vogel, for example, where he was talking about how you have to let the you people, have to let him run so the people can feel like their voice is heard, and when they when he loses, when they vote against him, then we're good, so you're setting it up as though there's going to be a vote. But then when we get to the actual scene, there's not really a vote. And is the way they vote by shooting colors from their wands into the air? Because that's not like... It seems
0: like like it.
2: That's not a... I mean, we're from the States, so far be it from us to speak on this. But it doesn't seem like a great way to elect somebody.
0: Well, maybe there's some <laughs> magic that tallies up the, tallying the, the, the votes. Yeah, yeah, like that That I can set aside. I just feel like the voting process was glossed over so quickly and it wasn't clear that simply shooting spells up in the air, shooting colors up in the air was your vote. That could have just been like, I support Grindelwald, just like you would have like a campaign poster on
1: your front yard.
0: You know, that that's not yeah, a vote. You're just showing that's support. That's a great way of But
1: the Chilin is yeah. like the authoritative vote, right? Like what it right. says goes. So it doesn't really matter what the people think. And I, and I think like that can lend itself to a whole other discussion about potentially even electating a dictator like we see come to power during World War II. Um, but the Chilin is supposed to know who is like what what noble of heart or pure of heart is that. So- it's not going to choose Grindelwald at the end of the day. What I liked about this scene in particular, though, is you got to see all the different ministries. Yeah, uh, nice. You saw yeah, yeah, yeah. Makuza, You saw uh, the Ministry of Magic. You saw the French Ministry. There were a couple of others thrown in there that I wasn't exactly sure where we were. Uh, it, wh-
4: yeah, it's where the other heads are from. To your
1: point, Eric, it would have been nice to have that little like subtitle.
4: <laughs> Put the little text at the bottom of the... I'm going to edit this movie. I'm going to make a fan edit of this movie that just says where the hell they are. Mm-hmm. hogwarts with 10 exclamation points please i would have loved to have seen a quick
0: shot of seraphina pickery in here and just yeah. reuse footage from the last you movie you don't have to bring her back. i realize that would be a hassle yeah we got tina but should i use some old footage to get seraphina involved
2: okay so this is probably my largest issue with this movie this whole election scene makes no sense when you break it down and you break down the motivations that are presented earlier in the film. We're told by Vogel that we have to let Grindelwald run or else the streets will run with blood. In this, you see that the crowd is overwhelmingly in support of Grindelwald. They're shooting the green up into the air. They're chanting for him. And then, like, we're supposed to believe that this crowd is going to flip the switch and go from our war with the muggles begins today to <laughs> oh, right, the little baby purity dough bowed to somebody else. So, yeah, that's fine. It makes no sense. But it's so I, cute. How could we say no is to that? Really thing? Cute. It is that? cute. But How come on, like, no if people are that <laughs> radicalized that they're buying into a dictator's worldview, they're not going to immediately switch perspective just because of what the chillin' does. What, like, that whole line about the streets will flow with blood, we should have well, seen that in this well, scene. People should have been fighting.
4: Yeah, hang on, because that is something that he's telling to the other uh, would-be mugwumps so that he can get their buy-in to add Grindwald to the ballot, which is what Vogel needs in that moment. I think he knows the whole plan. Sorry, my cat is here. Okay. <laughs> uh, I think he knows the whole plan to uh, use the chillin and cheat and and be like, oh, what? There's a chillin here. But he has to justify putting Grindelwald on the ballot to begin with. And the way that he does that is saying that if they don't, people will be really upset.
2: But even so, we see crowd motivations throughout the film of people crowd surfing Grindelwald. He can barely get out of his car.
4: He does have a lot of public support.
2: Yeah. So it just doesn't make sense to me that all of that strong public support shows up to the ballot in Bhutan. And when his victory is taken from him, doesn't react to that. So that's another area where I feel like, yep, we just got to button up this storyline real quickly so that we can end this movie
4: well then we don't understand what what is so great about santos that makes her have a purity of heart or we 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 don't see anything about uh dao who or or any of the other candidates they could have been characters they could have given them lines motivations you know in another world this would all make sense and we'd understand what even grindelwald's competitors look like but we no, I
0: will say I thought it was clever, and I caught this on the second watch, Grindelwald trying to poison Santos earlier in the movie. Mm. So he must have known that she could be selected by the chillin if he's purposely trying to kill her. Because I don't think we ever saw him try to kill
1: Lu Dow, right? Right, and that sets up the whole Jacob assassin plot line as well. Yes. The one right. thing I will say, we're talking about all these different candidates. Um, I thought that the casting of Vogel was way too close to Mads Mikkelsen. And I think a lot of people were confused by those two characters.
4: Mm -hmm. I've definitely heard that. They look alike and knowing that Vogel is basically just a stooge for Grindelwald, it maybe seems like maybe they're the same person. But what the movie doesn't even really make clear is that Vogel is the current mugwump. He's the that's the reason they're able to make all these laws and stuff is like he's the one in the position. So if the one in the position looks like Grindelwald and is basically Grindelwald, was Grindelwald just using him then like previously is Grindelwald already been in control of the Wizarding World through Vogel as his puppet or what's the deal there? It was just very confusing.
0: Let's move on to top moment number six. The Blood Pact is explained and destroyed so we did get this explanation in a promotional clip i think this is a secret right i'm not letting you all answer it was a secret (laughs) wow (laughs) was it a
2: secret that they were going to destroy the blood pact in this movie i think we all predicted they were going to have to
0: (laughs) no well the explanation was a secret i think you could argue what exactly goes on because we were speculating about that for a while tell me if i have this right grindelwald he threw the first spell at Credence. And Albus and Aberforth threw a spell back to defend Credence. And because of the way these spells were positioned and intended, Albus was not technically moving against Grindelwald. He was only trying to protect Credence. And thus the blood pact was destroyed. I buy this. I accept this. I I think a couple of people had some problems with it. But setting aside the duel itself, the the visual look of it, particularly... Yes, exactly. And we were afraid this was going to happen with this stool, weren't we? <laughs> um, I thought this was a reasonable explanation.
1: Yeah, I, I was a little bit disappointed in how it was actually destroyed. But going back to what I said earlier, I believe that it was supposed to kind of juxtapose what happened to Ariana. So in this instance, you have yes. Albus and Aberforth. They're working together to prevent Grindelwald from killing a family member. Obviously, that didn't work for Ariana. Here it does work for Credence and the blood pack is destroyed. I'm okay with it
3: yeah yeah that's a really good um like explanation i like that i was so not on board with this until now i'm like actually you know what i'm here <laughs> oh really <this>. okay <laughs> i'm taking it in and i've got to agree yeah i'm fine with
2: the method they use to destroy it from a storytelling perspective i do think though that there are some inconsistencies in the magic here like we, we've we talked before about how the blood pact in some ways is very reminiscent of an unbreakable vow, which to our knowledge, you cannot break, right? Snape has to kill Dumbledore. There's no getting out of it for him. That's why they make the arrangement. And the blood pact, to me, if it can put the creators in like their own mirror dimension to have conversations, that's something the Unbreakable Vow can't do. To me, that suggests a level of magic that really differentiates it. So to have it be able to be destroyed through what feels like a technicality felt like it doesn't really add up. So like the conclusion is fine, but I just wish that there would have been a better justification For the conclusion, if that makes sense. I was hoping for better writing to get us there.
4: Yeah.
0: Okay, so we'll discuss that more at a later time, I'm sure. Our final top moment of the film. Oh, another crowd pleaser, a feel-good moment. Queenie and Jacob got married. And also in the scene, Tina and Newt reunited. Oh. I'm starting to feel like Tina wasn't in this movie simply uh, in most of the movie simply so they could have this grand reunion at the end. Yeah, no, there's and- definitely
4: something <laughs> weird and mysterious and untoward about removing Catherine Waterston from most of this movie. But yeah, it was a good reunion all the same.
3: I don't know. I'm just like not sold on that relationship. I don't know if it's because she just hasn't been in it enough, but like, sorry, but just because you've got her photo in your suitcase, it's not selling it to me. Like I need to see some chemistry. I don't see any chemistry between the two. I'm not like waiting for them to hook up. Like, I just don't get it. You don't think that they
4: might, they might represent a less... Sexually forward type of romance, like a more a more pure kind of romance, or or even like a a romance without a sexual component in it. I mean, some totally, people do. But look,
3: I'm not getting yeah. it. You know, like I'm not feeling yeah. it through the screen. Like I feel more chemistry between Ulysses and um, Theseus than I do yeah. from yes, Newt and Tina. That's
4: yeah, and that's not even there's not a line that's written that would convey that, but it's on the screen. But every time Newt talks about Tina, he like. Enters a different
0: dimension. Like when he mentions her on the train, he like is at a loss for words. I think they try to convey it. He's just super
1: awkward. Like that's part of it too. I think you even see that at the end of the movie when he's interacting with her. But I, I get what Jemima's saying. Like it just hasn't been developed enough over the course of these films. It's like it was left hopefully to build upon in the second film at the end of the first, and then it didn't go anywhere. Right. Right. Like he was chasing her pretty much the entirety of the first the second film because sh- she thought that he was into Lita, which again I don't I don't know how that e- was not resolved easily, but it wasn't with but anyway, I don't know.
4: Well it's all messy because Bunty is still very much into Newt. Yeah. <laughs> Bunty seems <laughs> cool with ever. it
1: though. Bunty seems cool with the Tina
4: thing. Though. I don't it depends on how you well, read that line.
3: I spent I, yeah. the whole movie thinking that Bunty was Tina. I was like, wow, Bunty is so into Newt. It's got to be Tina in Polyjuice. I was like, we figured it out, guys. This is what it is. The big reveal's coming. And then it never came. I was like, oh, so Bunty is just like really into Newt. Okay.
4: Yeah. Yeah. And she has no boundaries uh, and probably doesn't respect his choice. Um, but uh, the Tina the thing to say one more thing is romantically, in terms of progression, they're no further along than they were when he left for the boat at the end of the first film and they like yeah. didn't yep. kiss. They're absolutely no further along versus Jacob and Queenie, who, despite all odds, are hitched now. That's yeah. an example of just totally opposite um, progressions.
0: Yeah. We do see, of course, early in the movie, Jacob still has strong feelings towards Queenie and really misses her. And it becomes apparent over the course of this film that Queenie feels the same way and that she's having some uh, second thoughts about joining Grindelwald, especially after seeing him kill the chillin'. And so I thought them getting married by the end was justified. I know we spoke on the show a few months ago about... The love potion that Queenie gave Jacob and how wrong that was and how if that is not explained or they don't, Queenie doesn't try to justify it, then that was all for nothing. So it was all for nothing. And that's a massive disappointment that the love potion was even used. But look- they seem to really love each other, and I loved this marriage at the end. I thought it was really sweet to have some of the characters all together, at Jacob's bakery for this marriage, and oh, my gosh, watching Dumbledore sit outside and look in after the yeah. events of this film and after his you know we see him talk about grin his love for Grindelwald, it really broke my heart watching Dumbledore watch the the wedding from the outside,
2: yeah, was he not invited? That's what was. Surely, (laughs) surely he would have been invited. Why
3: would he go all the way to New York to sit outside on a bench in the cold and watch through a window? Like, just stay at home.
4: Yeah, he had to take a boat the entire, like, for two weeks to get there, by the way, because (laughs) wizards can't travel intercontinentally. We know this. I think it's Um, far
0: more effective to have him, honestly, uh, more effective to have him sitting outside looking in because you're just thinking about the fact that he doesn't have the person that he loves. And we could talk about this more next episode, but I think Dumbledore deserves a boyfriend in the next movie. <laughs> it doesn't have to pan out. So it checks out with Harry Potter canon, but get him a boyfriend in the next just new like movie. Just like a flirting waiter
4: at Hogshead or something. Like, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah,
0: I mean, come on. Everforth brought
4: somebody on to because to, he needs to spend more time with his kid. Um, um But yeah, it's it's that classic distance. That Dumbledore has with everybody, right? He's keeping everyone at an arm's length, and so the sitting outside the wedding but not going into the wedding is another rep- like a reflection of Dumbledore is always going to be one step removed because he is the the orchestrator, the guy who can never really get too close to everyone else. Um, so I thought that was really beautifully realized.
2: Yeah, it was a it was a really pretty scene, and I think it goes back to the theme. Of this conversation, which is that if you take this film in without asking too many questions, it's a really fun viewing experience. I think there is a a place like there is a time and a place to just enjoy this film for what it is to kind of wrap this up on a positive note here. But to Jemima's point for the five percenters that we are, there are a lot of questions.
0: I think that's it for our discussion on the seven biggest moments of The Secrets of Dumbledore. We have been critical today, but as we've said, we're all in agreement that it was a nice step up over the previous movie. Yes. I found this one to be very rewatchable, and I'm looking forward to discussing it further. And speaking of that, next week we'll be naming our favorite characters, beasts, and scenes from the movie. And then we'll go into a slew of odds and ends that we want to discuss still. So stay tuned for next week's episode with much, much more. About the secrets of Dumbledore. Before we wrap up, Micah, you were recently on the podcast on a podcast I know you wanted to mention.
1: Yeah. So in the spirit of the release of the Secrets of Dumbledore, I got the opportunity to join a buddy of mine's podcast called Everyone Is a Real Critic. And what they do over there is they take a look at movies with at least a 20% difference in the critic rating and the audience rating. Now Crimes of Grindelwald, which is the movie that we discussed, didn't fall within that range because the critics and the audience were pretty much agreed on just how bad that movie was. However, we decided to make an exception. My buddy also got the chance to come to see The Secrets of Dumbledore with me uh, last week, so that certainly helped the discussion along in certain areas. But It was just a really fun discussion, a lot of funny moments, and they do a really great job, John and Jose, over on Everyone's A Real Critic. So I encourage our listeners, go check it out, give it a listen. They are at EARC Pod on social media. And of course, you can get the podcast wherever you download your podcast normally.
0: Cool. And we'll have a link in the show notes. And Jemima, thanks for joining us today. It was great having you on.
3: So good to be on. Very excited to be here. Like I said, I was talking to my mom before. I was like, I I was like, how long have you been listening to this podcast? I was like, I don't know. But it definitely goes back to the time where I had to like download the files and then like upload them to my iTunes and then plug in my iPod. So it's like been a while. (laughs) I remember those days. (laughs) Classic.
0: We even offered listeners a low bandwidth edition of MuggleCast, which was a lower quality version of the MP3 file in case you were connecting via dial up and you couldn't download the (laughs) file quickly. We got you. If you got your 28K modem or your 56K modem, we got you covered. But Jemima, thanks so much for joining us. and Thanks for staying up late. And where can our listeners find you online?
3: You can find me on Instagram at Jemima Skelly. And I also have a YouTube channel where I do traveling stuff. I just got back from Thailand and Cambodia. So I've got a bunch of videos that I've just put up there. That's um, Journey with Jemima. If you just search that on YouTube, it should come up. Jemima
0: wow. is living the life of traveling I follow her
1: and
3: I'm so jealous did yes. you see
1: any fantastic Beasts? <laughs>
3: <laughs> I didn't I should have kept my eye out for chilling while I was there uh.
0: <laughs> well thanks again Jemima it was great having you on and thanks for your support on Patreon too yeah definitely couple other reminders. Make sure you're following the show for free in your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. We release new episodes every Tuesday. And leave us a review if your podcast app allows you to. Also, don't forget to follow us on social media. We are MuggleCast on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew.
1: I'm Eric. I'm Micah.
2: I'm Maura. And I'm Jemima. Bye, everyone. Bye, y'all. Bye.